You are listening to the Evolution Exchange NHS podcast. We shine a light on the topics that matter to digital and data leaders in the NHS. I'm Ellie Fox and I help connect digital leaders in the NHS with interim talent and today I am your host. The views expressed by guests are their own and do not necessarily reflect the official position or policy of their organisation. So if everyone could just introduce themselves, um, Balaz, if we start with you. Sure. Thanks, Ellie. Uh, my name is Balaz Valdvari. I'm a digital programme manager at Bedford Hospitals. I'm currently responsible for uh, overseeing projects involving new systems and system upgrades, uh, basically anything that benefits clinical and corporate service lines. Uh, prior to that, so actually I've spent about five years in the NHS. Prior to that, I was working in the financial sectors, both in London and New York. Thank you very much. Jill, if you could introduce yourself, please. Uh, yeah, thanks, Ellie. Yeah, so um, I'm Jillian Hamilton and I am um, Senior Business Analyst within IT at London Ambulance Service. Um, I have been there for around 18 months now. Um, prior to that, um, I spent around 20 years in financial services um, and banking. So a fairly new move to NHS. From the NHS. Perfect. Thank you. And Samuel, if we could go over to you, please. I am Samuel Taylor. I'm the programme lead for uh, Frimley and Bob ICS. Um, I work for Community Health Partnerships um, and I'm currently uh, supporting uh, the development of a clinical and estate strategy for, for, for those two ICSs. And BOP stands for Buckinghamshire, Oxfordshire and Berkshire West. Um, prior to that, I worked in uh, the acute secondary care uh, community services in Enfield. Um, and um, way before that, I used to work in uh, consultancy taxation um, to be particular. Perfect. Thank you very much. Um, so we'll get started with the questions. Um, so Blaz will come to you first. Your question was, how do you communicate change effectively and how do you tailor the comms? So if you could just give us a bit of context as to um, why you want to discuss that and then we'll go around to the panel and get their thoughts. Okay, great. Thanks, Ellie. So um, often, um, even if projects are managed properly, um, they often fail or they can fail due to uh, poor communication strategies. And I guess I just wanted to discuss with the panel what uh, what sort of things they're doing with their uh, digital transformation projects to ensure that communication is done effectively and tailored accordingly uh, to each user. So from my experience, um, I guess um, with each project, you have to realize that each project is different and uh, each project has different set of stakeholders um, who you with whom you have to communicate differently, especially in the NHS. So really you have to analyze your target audience and uh, find out the best way to best channels uh, to communicate with them. So for example, we found that for a rollout of uh, an electronic uh, inpatient discharge letters, we found that junior doctors were uh, were spending their most time communicating via um, an internal uh, chat channel. So we thought what better way to communicate with them than to put comms out that way. Um, for another project, which is uh, which requires a lot more explanation, which is to do with um, uh, we're working with a supplier on introducing an artificial intelligence solu solution um, to the trust. So uh, we realized that an explanation 
video would be very helpful to, to those users. Um, so you really have to analyze your target audience and find out what information they require and how, how could that be communicated uh, most effectively. Um, another example I can give is uh, for big rollouts in the trust, we uh, also employ a lot of floor walkers. Sometimes we get these floor walkers to dress in the same color tops so they are able, so that everybody's able to identify them uh, effectively. So it's the little things that I found that really count um, for projects and, and all uh, these are the these are the sort of steps that I think really ensure that changes um, changes are embedded and, and communicated to everyone involved. Um, so I guess I'll throw it back and open up to the other participants and see what their thoughts are. Thank you. Uh, Samuel, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, um, I totally agree with um, Balaz. I when I saw the question is one of those questions that um, look or sound quite innocuous, but answering it um, it's often uh, challenging, um, but I thought about, in my experience, it's it's about communicating in the right way, you know, the right channel, the right people um, at, at the right time. Oftentimes you, you find that organizations, you know, they mix those things up and um, it might be the right content, but at the wrong time or, you know, communicating via the wrong people. Um, there are certain things that would be best maybe communicated via a service manager, for example, um, as opposed to coming from the director of strategy, you know, things like that. Um, really simple things, but but they do matter um, when you're implementing solutions um, across an organization and it might be an IT solution. Um, there is something to be said for for storytelling in, in the way that information is channeled or, or communicated. So um, absolutely agree. It's the little things that count, um, being able to share your vision um, and simplify it, carry people along, um, be honest, and I think most importantly, um, listen and, and feedback. Thank you, Samuel. Uh, Jill, if we go over to you. Yeah, sure. Um, uh, just first off saying, I, I you know, agree wholeheartedly with, with, with um, both Balaz and, and Samuel. Um, one of the things that, that, that I um, often have think about as well is when you're managing people through a change it is a, a, it could potentially be a big change to them so although it may well seem like a fairly small change to yourself you have to bear in mind that you are managing these people through a change and you have to, to bear that in mind and so it is managing people through that change curve um, so you have to be you know emphasized with people and taking how they're feeling about what may well be happening to them as well. So I always try and um, bear that in mind when, when managing people through a change. I think communicating with people often um, throughout the change process is generally good as well. People can be scared of the unknown. So, you know, we should keep them informed at, at regular intervals. Um, I also think in terms of um, the different channels, going back to what um, as we're saying around identifying what is the most appropriate channel for that person. So we've also used similar things like um, how to videos, um, um, you know, various different things within um, the, you know, company's intranets, um, using that as a channel, also speaking to our, our comms teams and speaking to them about um, a good means of communication or channel with the appropriate people and find it a knowledgeable you know, communications team 
you know, they're, they're really there and will help you through that as well. Alas. Um, thanks, Jill. I, I just want to add to that to really stress and emphasize that in the NHS, one of the first things that you have to realize is that every team uh, works differently in, in, in a hospital or even in a community setting. Um, it, it it's all tailored towards patients and they've that's why they've got different uh, modes of communication um you know some some teams you really have to go and visit on foot and get to get the word out other teams uh you know don't really have time to read emails at all during the day the, from the second they, they they come in they have to attend to patients and they uh, are lucky if they get any time during the day to check their emails so you really have to find the most effective ways of communication and definitely agree with Samuel that the source of the com communication matters a lot because um, it's in, especially in the NHS, if the communication is coming from somebody um, that they've never heard of, they're very likely to ignore it. Whereas if it comes from um, some like a team team leader or a team manager, then uh, I think uh, they definitely you the staff definitely listen to what changes uh, there are and what they uh, what they need to do to effectively uh, incorporate the change. Yeah, Samuel, have you got something to add? Yeah, just to add to um, a final point um, is is anticipating or rather preparing for resistance um, when 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 dealing with change. Um, in my, I think I think about Elizabeth Kubler-Ross and, and the stages of grief, but um, I've kind of tried to simplify it in my own way, and I, and I call it I don't like it, I don't like you, and I don't get it. So that's kind of my 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 three pronged approach um, and understanding that uh, there will be fair resistance sometimes to change because oftentimes you see um, changes communicated or implemented and and um, and and. Most organizations aren't ready for 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 the uptake or the implementation. Thank you. Has anyone got anything to add on that subject question before we move on to the next one? No? Cool. Uh, Jill, so your question was, how do you measure if your digital transformation was successful? So if you could just give us a bit of context, then we'll go around to the panel. Um, yeah, so um, in general, in terms of this one, um, I think sometimes in, in general that we can get very involved in our projects and we tend to look at successful projects and whether they were delivered on time within budgets etc like that but I was just wondering what um, in terms of actually measuring how successful a transformation is and the uptake of that and how people see that transformation you know after the project and and um, yeah how you you go about measuring that Thank you. Uh, Balaz, if we go to you first. Sure. Um, I guess I uh, just wanted to start out by saying, let's be honest, I, I don't think we're uh, that good in the NHS at measuring things. Uh, we are getting better with uh, data analytics, uh, uh, BI, etc. But uh, historically, it's not one of our strong points. Um, so when you ask the question about how do you measure if your if your digital transformation was successful, I think a lot of people think to um, ac actually you know get getting some feedback from from the users. So that that's one way, probably um, making sure that uh, everybody who is uh, um, let's say if you're introducing something new that they're happy to use the system. But really, what you should be doing is at the point of receiving. Uh, something new to implement, then you should be looking at, all right, what is my baseline? Let's measure something at the beginning. Because if you if you don't measure something at the beginning, then and you don't start, around, start to understand 
what you can measure, what you cannot measure, and how you're going to measure those things, then by the time you get to uh, post-implementation and you, you want to start measuring things that, there and then, you're already too late. Uh, some of the changes have already happened, so you're losing out on some of those benefits. So, um, so the way that we started approaching benefits is that we sit down with the project sponsors and um, effectively try to identify what is it that you're already measuring. Um, can we can we look at that and how th how this change that we're trying to implement will impact those uh, those measures? Um, we really uh, then uh, throughout the project, uh, I guess we really should be measuring how those um, how those KPIs, how those measurements are uh, changing. And then post-project, I think tr different trusts have different ways of measuring this. Um, you can either have a central a centralized function that measures all uh, project benefits, but more often than not, it's actually the business owners who uh, should be leading on measuring the benefits uh, post-project implementation, I think. Thank you very much. Samuel, what are your thoughts? I absolutely agree with, with Belaz again. Um, it's not much I can add to that, but uh, um, yes, I, I think I think the NHS uh, struggles with measuring benefits in projects and programs, and um, yeah, there's a lot to be done. Um, usually it's more from a fiscal point of view, um, and I think that's maybe due to pressure. Um, and, and that's really where they tend to start from when 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 measuring benefits in, in an organization. Um, but whether you're talking about productivity, um, you know, return on investments or, or KPI, whichever way, I think we need to define those KPIs from the outset. You know, I would think about, um, you know, like product planning, you know, we could take a leap from from tech. Um, product planning, you have your cost structures, you set your metrics, you know, timelines um, and, and some of those continuous measures, which will be there post, you know, delivery. So there, there is something to be said for that, um, that we we need to learn how to measure benefits. Um, there are lots of projects I've been involved in and um, the PMO office just did not have the capability um, to measure benefits and, and, and they are a PMO office. So those things um, need to be addressed. Um, we need to have the right skills in place. And um, yeah, I think that would be a good a good start. Thank you. Jill, have you got anything to add? Anything um, to go back on? Yeah, just that, you know, um, completely agree around the um, setting your metrics uh, and agreeing um, your KPIs and measuring upfront so that we know um, at the end of ways, um, at the end, whether we have been successful. Um, I do think that there is um, something in um, also looking at satisfaction of those involved in, in the project as well. So, um, it, 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 and it is, it's, it's, it, it's both really as well as in it, it's those targets and measurables, but also um, the, the satisfaction of employees as well. Um, so, um, yeah, I think that's, um, yeah, just about it. Um, I think it's a, bit, a little bit about, um, you know, how are people, are people um, willing to, to go through that change again? How, how an, good an experience was it? Has it maybe um, the experience um, helped some of the anxiety about change as well? Um, so yeah, I think there is, there is um, room for both, um, you know, metrics and KPIs as well as 
um, customer satisfa satisfaction, employee satisfaction as well. Perfect. Thank you. Uh, Balaz, if we go back to you. Yeah, agree with Till's point on the on the on the satisfaction part. And uh, it's also uh, really in, in addition to um, measurable metrics and data, it, it's useful to get that human feedback as well. Um, you can achieve that by um, sending out surveys to users. There's many platforms these days, uh, especially the, um, the digital platforms that allow you to send surveys to users after uh, after use, or you can do that yourself. You can, it's very easy to set up online forms, for example, these days. Um, but it's also, uh, in, I, I think it's, it's also a good measure if you walk, if you do a walk around post implementation and just ask, ask the users, you know, what, are they using it first of all you know mm -hmm. um are they happy with it and are there things that could be improved and uh, make sure that that feedback doesn't just go into somebody's desk and into the bin make sure that uh, that feedback is uh, actioned on because if, if if that is then the next time you go around to implementing something then they will know that their feedback was valued and and they'll be more uh happy to cooperate with you in, in your project thank you some really good suggestions there um has anyone got anything else to add before we move on to Samuel's question? Um, yeah, totally agree. Um, again, it's usability, isn't it? Um, the, the, the proof that uh, your your solution um, has been successful is adoption um, and, and usability. Um, and, and you can't get any better feedback than that. Absolutely. Um, you know, um, and, and, and we need to know what success looks like. You know, I, I think before something a program starts, we, we need to have a benchmark of, of what success looks like and um, inevitably get service users uh, at the front of that queue in, in defining and prescribing that for us um, as, as opposed to, you know, having it roundabouts. So, yeah, um, I agree. The adoption and, and, and the usability of that product would, would be the um, testament. Thank you. Um, okay, Fab, let's move on. Um, so Samuel, your question, how do we reduce inequality through transformation? What are the enablers and barriers? Thoughts? So you just want to give us a bit of context and then we'll go around. Yes, um, I, I should have added digital um, between through and transformation. So the question should have read, how do we reduce inequality through digital transformation and and and, and just how we think about the enablers and barriers? Um, I was thinking about uh, the core 20 plus five. I don't know if we are all familiar with, you know, the 20% the, the most deprived um, part of the population and obviously the clinical um, um, most disabled uh, um, five groups within, within, within that cohort and um, how we obviously COVID um, has shown a light on that. And, and that's the reason why we're talking about those things. COVID has fast-tracked uh, policy in that direction. Um, and COVID has kind of taught us um, the art of the possible. Um, little did we know we could roll out um, some of this solution in very short time. So it's 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 about how 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 we can look at inequality and when we talk about inequality, we're not just talking about um, inequality about, you know, ethnic minorities, for example, you know, maternity, mental health, uh, learning disability, um, you know, women and children. So how, how can we tackle inequality through digital transformation and, and what are the enablers and barriers? Thank you. Jill, if we go over to you first. Yeah. Um, 
I think um, uh, technology um, can be a, a, a great enabler um, in reducing um, inequity and inequality. Um, I think that when we start out in the transformation journey, again, it's gone back to that, that those initial the requirements. What is the requirements of everyone? Trying to put our, ourselves into the position of those people where you say there may be um, disabilities or um, mental health or, um, you know, barriers to technology. Um, and, and you have to think about that when you're designing a solution. Um, you may well have to think of things um, around barriers to entry and um, around potentially social economic groups. So, for instance, you know, if our technology is only going to be working on latest operating systems, you would have to be aware of that you could potentially end up reducing the pool because people might not have access to that latest technology. So you should be very aware about that when you're designing technology and trying to ensure that, you, that you're that you not excluding people through that and that we try um, very much um, to be empathetic, empathetic and um, ensure that when we're designing solution, we're taking these um, characteristics into consideration. Um, you know, whether it's language based or visual, um, different tools that are available with technology um, that, that can be a great help for for people and we need we should bear that in mind. Thank you, Jill. Uh, Balaz, what are your thoughts? Um, I have to say to Samuel, interesting question, because uh, this topic does keep coming up and up uh, uh, frequently. And um, one of the first things I think of when um, when Samuel mentioned inequality, I, I assumed it was uh, to do with digital inequality, is definitely one of the first things I thought of was digital poverty. Um, and I believe that uh, around 95% of UK uh, population are internet users, of which around 80 plus, 85% plus, I think, uh, uh, of the adults have UK smartphones. But when you come around to implementing a patient-facing technology, so uh, one uh, that, you know, patients, for example, can use their smartphones to access something or their home computers to access something, you realize that, you know, not everybody, uh, when, when we say that, you know, 90 uh, 5% of the UK population has internet access. It, it doesn't mean that everybody's got good internet access or that everybody's got the right devices to take advantage of that internet access. So um, this became fairly apparent when um, during COVID, we were trying to roll out video consultations uh, to patients and uh, uh, it became evident that backwards compatibility with devices was definitely an issue. Um, that we should be looking at seriously uh, with that technology that we were implementing for video consultations, but also with all other technologies. So if you are implementing something patient facing, then I think you do need to demand some answers from the suppliers to make sure that uh, you're able to capture as much of the patient base as possible. Um, and you're never going to get to 100%. It's just a matter of fact, you know, not all of your users will have internet access. Not all of them will be smartphone users. In fact, there's a, an increase of, of, of uh, so-called dumb phones at the moment uh, for people who want to be um, off the grid uh, from smartphones. Um, so you're never going to get to the 100%, but you have to find the right balance, I think, between um, implementing a technology that is forward-thinking and innovative and 
being able and at the same time being able to catch the largest user base possible. Um, so that's my thoughts on, on digital poverty. And obviously there's the question about um, disabilities, ethnic backgrounds. Um, and I think you uh, many trusts do do an assessment of technologies when when they're implemented for especially when they're patient facing about whether or not the technology um, differentiates uh, uh, users or, or has any uh, disadvantages for users of certain backgrounds, whether, whether it be, um, you know, speech impediments, uh, language difficulties, um, um, that kind of thing. So people, uh, people do think about it uh, when they're implementing these technologies, um, but uh, you have to, uh, I guess, make sure that whatever you're implementing is as much as possible um, offering a technology that's on an equal footing to all the users. Thank you. Samuel, have you got anything to add? Yeah, um, I totally agree about, uh, you know, looking at some of those wider determinants of, of health, um, you know, um, income. Um, like Bio says, you know, having a smartphone doesn't necessarily translate to, you know, being able to access um, a service equitably. Um, so yeah, we, we need to look at those things, um, whether it's income, uh, digital poverty, um, you know, uh, you know, sites, you know, vision and, and people who can access these tools. I, I think there's a lot of work that, that needs to be done. Um, I, I saw, I saw um, a stat which shocked me um, a few a few weeks ago. I think it was three percent of um, health service providers um, in Europe have adopted um, electronic uh, patient recording, like wholly adopted that. And um, but when I thought about it, I, I really I probably think that's you know true in some way because some of the NHS organizations that I've worked for in London, um, there hasn't been total adoption. They've been working towards, um, you know, um, total electronic patient records. We still have a lot of paper, and those are things that contribute to uh, some of the inequalities we're, we're talking about in terms of the, you know, management of information um, and, you know, adopting digital tools for, for diagnosis, treatment of, um, of, of conditions. Um, and also, we need to think about how digital technology narrows the gap between population health and, and personalised care. Thank you. Does anyone have anything else to add? Any additional comments on that topic? Um, just that I agree with Samuel. I think we need to uh, focus on on population health management and, and uh, rely on the community services to analyze uh, the population as much as possible, not just from a health perspective, but also from um, an equality perspective um, to ensure that everybody's getting the, the same level of care uh, as they deserve. And if they're unable to access certain technologies to ensure that we do have alternative uh, business practices in place to ensure that they're still able to receive the same level of care despite not being able to access that technology. Yeah, absolutely agree. Thank you. Perfect.